Welcome back to Sports Online. If you guys are new to the channel, make sure you guys like, share, comment, and subscribe for more uh, daily content. We have some cool stuff for you guys over our social media pages, so you guys make sure you guys go follow us there. We have uh, Blake Murphy from the Toronto Athletic covering the Toronto Raptors. That sounded weird coming out of my mouth, um, but thank you, Blake, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sean. How are you doing, man? Good. How about you? Good, man. Good. All right, so let's just dive right into it. So let's start with Vince Carter, who uh, reti- who announced that he's retiring after the end of the season's over now. But personally, I feel he should have played one more year and played retired as a Raptor. How do you feel? How, do you think he's the first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer? Yeah, I've been torn on the, you know, he should retire Raptor thing. Like the last couple of years, uh, the Raptors, you know, did did have some interest in bringing him back as kind of like a 14th, 15th man leader type. Uh, But Vince wanted to play, right? And there was, you know, I don't know if people know this, but like Vince does a lot of charity work. So like that year, Sacramento offered him $8 million and the chance to play. Well, that's pretty, that's a pretty legitimately good offer compared to a minimum. And you know, each of the last couple of years, teams have been able to offer him actual minutes, 10, 15 minutes a game that I don't think the Raptors, when you're competing for a championship, could really offer, especially this past year where, you know, he could hit a three, but a lot of what made Vince Vince was gone uh, at that point. But, um, you know, I think he has obviously a complicated relationship with, with the Raptors fan base, and some people would love to have him back in the fold and, and kind of, you know, settle that and have his career – obviously his career is over, but have his career with the Raptors kind of tied up nicely to, um, to where, you know, maybe he could be an, an ambassador for the team or, or at least a, a bigger part, of, a more active part of their history. Um, right now, there's still that little bit of tension where I think some fans forgive him and some fans, you know, newer fans aren't that hurt by it, but there's still a small segment of the fan base that's like, well, he never really like took accountability and apologize. So it's a complicated thing for Vince's relationship with the Raptors for sure. Uh, but I think, you know, him retiring and the more time goes on and the fact that the Raptors have done so well these last few years, all that stuff goes to, to kind of heal those wounds. And I think, you know, whether it's, you know, when Vince goes in the hall, whether that's as a Raptor or whether he, you know, signs the old one day to retire Raptor, anything like that is probably not necessary, but I think, I certainly think you'll, you'll see Vince honored at a Raptors game sometime soon and, and you know, they'll wear the throwbacks and it'll be a, a really fun thing. Okay. Um, next. So the Raptors this year before the season was suspended, they were 46 and 18, uh, which I think so as was 64 games through that stretch of the season last year. I forget what the record was, but this year their record is better than what they were last year. Do you think that the Raptors team has actually improved from last year or is it less competition? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the regular season record is impressive and they were 17-5 when Kawhi sat last year too. Um, So there's some depth here. I think it's been really impressive. Uh, I don't think I'm ready to say that they're better because, you know, we measure these things by the playoffs, right? And, And, you know, analytically they they hold up okay they're they're third the third or fourth best team in the league by net rating depending on how you adjust it for for quality competition uh they do have the number two defense which is really impressive and i think was to be expected but the big thing is you know they're the number 12 ranked offense and i think they're 16th in half court offense and that those are the areas where obviously Kawhi's is an immense two-way player but the raptors have a lot of good defensive players and they have a really good defensive coach i'm less worried on that side um, it's more the offense with the game on the line when the playoffs slow down, 
uh, and kind of grind out. That's the one area that the Raptors, for all Pascal Siakam's growth, the Raptors haven't really shown yet that they're the same team as last year because they don't have, you know, Kawhi Leonard might be the best player in basketball. If he's not, he's top three. Uh, so you don't have that guy. So it's a little different. And, and Raptors fans know this well because for the couple years pre-Kawhi, they were also really, really good regular season teams. And then they got to the playoffs and suddenly your depth doesn't matter as much or a DeMar DeRozan is a little easier to game plan for defensively or a number of other things. You you run into LeBron three times in a row, which is just kind of unfair. Um, so, it, you know, they, they know this story well, that that a fun regular season is is that it's really fun. It's really encouraging. Uh, you take the individual growth for a Siakam and Anobi, Norm Powell, all those guys. Um, and it's great, but the playoffs are a different testing ground. And that's where, you know, I don't think the Raptors are going to be able to say they're as good as last year. I think they're going to be pretty competitive. And, and I think it's really impressive that we can even talk about them, you know, going back to the Eastern conference finals, maybe even going back to the finals after losing Leonard, you know, that's why nurse is going to be a coach of the year. That's why, half the roster is a, is a most improved player candidate. Uh, it's really impressive, but, but better is not a word that I'm willing to throw out until we see him in the postseason. Now, so me and our other co-hosts uh, on records, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, who's the biggest threat to the Bucks? I've said the Celtics, if we're talking about talent, but in terms of like what it takes to beat the Bucks, like uh, versatility, size, and shooting the heat. He, neither of us, actually, none of our uh, special guests have said the Raptors or the Sixers, but there's reasons for the Sixers. <laughs> Is it a coincidence? Why do you feel that nobody's really viewing the Raptors as a major threat to the Bucks compared to the Heat and the Celtics? Yeah, I think the Sixers thing is funny just because, you know, like matchup-wise, they should be a pretty good, pretty good test for Milwaukee. They have Simmons and Embiid, and you look at the way the Raptors – kind of defended Milwaukee with uh, with Kawhi and Marc Gasol from games three onward. It's like, oh, you could do that with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and, and kind of replicate it. But the Sixers, they could come out and they could be amazing or they could be awful. And I wouldn't be surprised either way in this relaunch. They're such a weird team. Uh, in terms of the Raptors and, and why why that's the case, I think one is probably that, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit boring to pick the team that knocked them off last year to, to knock them off again this year. Um, but also – you know, people, especially in close playoff series, I know people sometimes reduce it to, okay, well, if these teams are 50-50, you know, who has the very best player on the floor? And that's something that I don't know that the rap, no one's going to have that against the Bucks. But if you're talking about who might get there or how a team projects, you know, maybe you're more comfortable with Jimmy Butler as that guy than you are Pascal Siakam. Maybe you're more comfortable with Jason Tatum as that guy than you are Pascal Siakam. I think these 50-50 series are, are probably a little more nuanced than that, obviously. Um, you know, like I think I, I would pick, put Jason Tatum ahead of Pascal Siakam at this moment, but I would pick the Raptors to beat the Celtics in that series. I just think their depth outside of the top six is a, is a little bit more. They have a little bit of a coaching engine. Don't get me wrong. I saw your reaction. I think that series is going seven. It's, uh, it's a close one for sure, but I, I would probably pick the Raptors. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, these are questions where the, the two through six in the East are so tight that you can't really fault anyone for, um, you know, having their preference or thinking one team's a little ahead of the other. The Raptors obviously laid out kind of the defensive game plan for how you approach the Bucks, but the Bucks also, you know, the Bucks played that series too, right? And they learned from it and they added some shooting to their second unit, um, you know, a few, a few less weak spots that the, the Raptors could exploit. So 
Um, I don't know, man. It's tough to see how it's tough to see anyone taking the Bucks down, to be honest. But but I think you know that that gap two through six, two through five in the East really isn't very big. Yeah, uh, I don't think you directly answered it. Uh, you know, I really didn't ask it. Who is the biggest threat to the Bucks? If anybody's going to knock them off, who's going to be? Yeah, it's tough. I think. I don't know. It's uh it's a weird thing where like I think the Raptors would beat the Celtics, but I think the Celtics might have a better chance of beating the Bucks just like matchup wise and what they throw at them. But then I get in my head about like the Bucks not or the the Celtics not having like a ton of the same functional size. Like Tice isn't bad by any means, but like I don't think you can play Ennis Cantor much in that series. Uh and I don't know that you want to go small against Giannis for for a long time. I don't know. Maybe Miami is the answer if they can click it all together. Cause like Bam is such a, such a natural guy to put on Giannis as a first line of defense. I don't have a good answer, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn on this one. I'm sorry. You're fine. Uh, really quickly, just want to re uh, bring back up what you said about the uh, Raptors defense. They're number two in defensive rating and in, in um, excuse me, in offensive rating. They are number 12. So, yeah, I think you might have mentioned that already. And then the Celtics are fifth, I think, in both categories as well. So, uh, yeah, just to bring that point back up. So, Pascal Siakam won most improved player last year. What have you seen, like, in terms of improvement from him from this year to last year? Obviously, his points have went up because he's the number one option this year. Where it's like, any has he taken any major steps in this game? Do you? Yeah, he has, and you know his his usage obviously took this huge spike, and and that explains a lot of the points per game increase. You know, efficiency wise, his true shooting percentage is down from last year, which I think everyone could expect. This is you know to go from a twenty percent usage guy to a twenty eight, twenty nine percent usage guy. Very few players have made that single season jump without losing some of their efficiency. Like I think Oladipo the other year with the Pacers is like the best example of a, you know, a guy not in his first two or three years taking that kind of jump smoothly. Uh, but it doesn't happen a ton. And I think we all expected a little bit of a, a step back efficiency wise, but you dig into what he's been able to do. And there are some encouraging signs. I think, I think the biggest thing he's added in terms of what you look for in a number one guy is, um, you know, his three point percentage hasn't improved, but last year, almost all of his threes were catch and shoot corner threes. And this year, a lot of them are pull up above the break threes. And if you think about how a team's going to defend a number one guy, especially, you know, Siakam, even though he's a big kind of like six foot nine, he can initiate some pick and roll. The Raptors will have him run four or five pick and roll four one pick and roll. Um, And having that threat of a pull up above the break, when you get a mismatch or if someone goes under a screen, I think that's a really important skill development for him. Um, you know, it, it's in terms of the rest of his offensive profile, the in-between game still isn't there. He took more mid-range shots, but they were pretty inefficient. Um, mechanically, it's coming along. You know, he does have some decent footwork. His dribble when he pulls up from mid-range is probably like the, the gather to shoot is probably a little too loose still, but that's something that um, has improved a little bit. He wasn't getting to the rim quite, quite as much or drawing fouls quite as much. And I think that's just the adjustment to, you know, you're seeing two bodies every time now. And how do you, you know, he, he's admitted that he's, you know, had to navigate when do I force it and when do I kind of assert myself on, on the game and, 
and when do I use that defensive attention to create for others? So, um, you know, the playmaking is another area where numbers wise, it hasn't improved a ton, but you watch some of the way that he reads double teams or he reads uh, traps in the pick and roll or when he gets to the paint and there's an extra body and some of that stuff's coming on. I think this is probably, you know, a multi-year development for him. I don't know if I expect him to come out in the playoffs and have all that figured out just yet. There's going to be bumps in the road. But, um, you know, in terms of this huge usage jump this year, I think he showed a lot of encouraging stuff. All right. Um, so this is a two-part question, but I'll start off with the first part of it. So back in free agency, when the two-week Kawhi Leonard saga went on, there were talks, Raptors, you know, I truly never, I never thought the Clippers would work. I thought that was dumb at first, but granted, we didn't see Paul George coming there, so that's that. I always thought Lakers or Raptors. Did you hear anything during before him signing with the Clippers? And if so, what did you hear? Yeah, it's one of those things where like a lot of info comes out after the fact, right? It's like, especially with a team like the Raptors and a camp like Kawhi's, like the Raptors rarely leak stuff beforehand and Kawhi's camp rarely leaks stuff beforehand. So you get more after the fact. Um, the impression that I had gotten was actually kind of the opposite of yours. And I think the opposite of public opinion was that uh, the Raptors were more worried about the Clippers than the Lakers, just because like the way that Lakers operate and being like the number three guy or part of a three man team with the Lakers is just so counter to the way Kawhi operates. And obviously it was a joke at times, like Magic Johnson leaking stuff. And like, it just misaligns with what Kawhi is all about. Um, but yeah, the Clippers thing was, you know, there was some real smoke there early on. And like you said, none of us saw Paul George coming. And I think we all kind of figured if he went to the Clippers, something else had to happen. Like I love Shea Gilgis Alexander, but I don't think that that's enough to, to lure Kawhi in that and cap flexibility and stuff. So, um, you know, I'll be completely honest. I had three different versions of a story written one for one for Kawhi landing with each team. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't surprised that he picked the Clippers, but I was obviously surprised about the Paul George stuff. I had kind of, you know, over the course of the year, just come to accept that even if the Raptors won a title, he might leave and they did the best they could. And not much more you could make out of one year with Kawhi than, than the championship. So, uh, no, I wasn't like entirely surprised other than the specifics, like you said. Yeah. Okay. So the second part of that question is if you can really – uh, give credit to someone. Who would you give more of the credit or, uh, yeah, give more of the credit to this Raptors success this year? Would that be Siakam, Van Bleet's development, or would that be Nick Nurse, who's maybe outside of Coach Spo down in South Beach, the front runner for Coach of the Year? Yeah, I think, you know, I think Nick Nurse is going to win Coach of the Year. We did a poll at The Athletic, and I think, like, he was just, like, he overwhelmingly won our internal vote, and, and I've already seen um, you know, like Zach Lowe and John Hollinger both say that he's their coach of the year and stuff. And those are pretty, pretty smart voices. So uh, I think he's going to win coach of the year. I think obviously it's a shared credit and it's, it's always hard with these things, right? It's like, how do you value chemistry? How do you value continuity? How do you value culture? Because those things are a little less tangible and like Siakam improved, but his efficiency dropped. Fred Van Vliet improved, but not as a finisher. And like, you know, Kyle Lowry, refused to age um but also like the raptors had uh, six of their top seven guys missed 11 or more games so how do you give credit to any one of those guys right so 
I think it has to be a shared credit. I think the front office has done a good job, you know, having these guys buy in where when Kawhi left, you know, I saw people writing about it, I, but I never thought, you know, oh, they're going to sell off Lowry, Gasol, and Ibaka, and it's rebuild time. And I think they did a good job, you know, making sure guys knew that they were still believed in them and still wanted to compete. And then I think Nurse did a tremendous coaching job. So I think it's kind of shared. You know, we'll see, again, the playoff success, you know, if Siakam comes out and is ready for that role, he's going he's gonna to get a lot bigger a share of that credit. Um, and, you know, he might make third-team All-NBA, which is – which is really cool for him here in his fourth year where he came from. But I think, yeah, I think awards wise, Nick nurse is the guy who's going to kind of carry this as coach of the year. And people hopefully understand that that's like an avatar for the Raptors kind of, you know, everyone pulling in the same direction for, for that success. All right. I think it's a good segue to go into our final two topics with you. So let's go through our NBA awards. You just gave your coach of the year. Uh, my coach of the year, I'll, I'll go with Coach Spo. And this is maybe because of our other co-hosts who uh, in the offseason said that Jimmy Butler was the most overrated offseason move. And look how that's panning out. But so Coach Spo, you know, Nick Nurse absolutely deserves it. But my vote yeah. is Coach Spo. To be, to be clear, just to clear, I think, I think Spo might be the best coach in the NBA. It just if We're just talking individual seasons this year. Nurse is, nurse is my coach of the year, but – I have all the respect in the world for, for Spolstra, and I think, you know, he might be the best coach in basketball, so. All right, so rookie of the year. Do you think Sia could win it, or who is winning rookie of the year? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Jaw. You know, Zion played, what, like less than 600 minutes. You know, if we got a chance to finish the season or these eight receding games counted or anything like that, like maybe he could make the push. It's just, it's so few minutes, man. I, I think, and like, it's not like Jaws, like a default winner. He was awesome too. So yeah, I don't think Zion played enough, man. Yeah, I agree. So Jaws mine as well. Um, six man of the year. This was probably Lou Will, Harold, and Schroeder from the Thunder. You think the media is going to give it? to somebody else for once or Lou will go win it for the eighth time I don't know I I mean I think I like if I had to pit like bet on it I think Lou will win just because like he's what everyone thinks of when they think of the sixth man of the year award and stuff I would pick Harold myself I think like even though those two guys go together so well and like it's more about the partnership than any one of them I just think Harold had such an incredible season for a bench big and it was so so important to the Clippers. Um, yeah, I, I would go Harold, but it wouldn't. You know, I, I think a Clipper is going to win it for sure. Yeah, I'll take Harold. Either Harold or Dennis Schroeder. What Schroeder has done for that Thunder team is kind of yeah. underappreciated because he's coming off the bench with Shea and and Chris Paul starting, and that's a weird, like unorthodox. Like their final lineup is like Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Shea, Danilo. And uh, and Steve Apps, which is weird that three guard that you typically see in a college game, but it works for that Thunder team, and it's partially because of um of Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, All man, right. and Schroeder improved so much this year. I thought too, where like, you know, I thought he was going to be a guy maybe that just like like I remember in the World Cup last year, like someone I guess he got criticized for Germany that like he needed to change his game to fit what the team needed a little bit more, and he was basically like, no, I'm going to play my game. And, like, so you worry about a guy like that sliding into this weird guard rotation and coming off the bench 
but behind two guys. And um, so credit to him, man. I, he's had an awesome season. Yeah, so you said improved, so let's go to most improved player. Probably Brandon Ingram, maybe Tatum. Uh, who's your most improved player of the year? Yeah, I think I think it's Ingram. Um, you know, I think we could throw Bam in the conversation there as well with, with Tatum. Tatum, you know, projecting longer term, maybe Tatum's is the most important just because, like, his scoring profile is, like, it's become – you know, the efficiency isn't there yet, but the way he gets his shots and stuff like that is just like, it fits well with what you want from your top guy. And like the defense has really gotten there for him. Uh, But yeah, I think just like the enormity of the step Ingram took is just too much. Like Tatum had a higher starting point and Ingram is like in the conversation with him now. Uh, I'd still take Tatum, but I think, you know, the, the amount of ground that Ingram covered this year was more significant. And then I think, yeah, I think Bam's right with, right there with them too. I'd maybe put the numbers didn't jump enough, but like qualitatively, I think Shea's right there too, honestly. But, uh, but yeah, Ingram would get my vote if I had one. Uh, I'm trying to stay consistent because we just talked about it. I forgot it on our last episode. I think I said Bam okay. because of his impact on both sides of the floor. Like he's averaging 17, 11, and five. He's amazing. On the block. Uh, and, and he's a big reason why the Heat are such a big threat in my opinion, to the Bucks, because uh, what he provides on both ends. But so, yeah, either Ingram or Bam, if Tatum played the way he played in February and March all year, then screw most improved player. He's yeah. an MVP cap, uh, candidate. Yeah, he got scary there for a little bit. Yeah, he torched my Lakers for 41. <laughs> like the, the easiest 41 I've seen in a while. Um Defensive player of the year and MVP, I think those kind of goes hand in hand this year. Because uh, I think that if Giannis wins MVP, AD will win defensive player of the year. I don't think Giannis will win both. How do you feel about that? I mean, I'd probably pick Giannis for both, honestly. But, you know, I don't have a vote. Uh, but, yeah, I could see I could see what you're saying where, like, if someone votes Giannis for MVP, they maybe don't want to give him the defensive player of the year vote to spread it around. But I could also see it going the opposite way where, like, if someone gives Giannis defensive player of the year, like if you're willing to say he's the best defensive player and then he also averaged like 30 points in 31 minutes uh, on the, the best team, like how do you not give him MVP if you give him defensive player of the year? So um, I think he's like, I, I'd imagine that you might uh, argue for LeBron if you're a Lakers fan as MVP. Uh, I'd probably go Giannis. And then, yeah, defensive player of the year, you know, I'd probably go Giannis there too, but I don't think you can go wrong with Anthony Davis or Rudy Gobert, you know, Embiid if he played enough games, but I don't think he did. So, um, yeah, I'd go double Giannis there, I think. Yeah, MVP, now, to, this I know I'll stay consistent on. My my thing with MVP is, while Giannis will probably win it, my vote is for LeBron. It's solely based off of, like he said, for 15 years, he got screwed four times because – Oh, he's in the East. Like, no no disrespect to James Harden. But 2018, it wasn't like Harden was the consensus best player in the league. The argument against LeBron was, oh, he's in the East. Harden's in the West. He's averaging 30. So let's give to Harden. Okay, LeBron's in the West on the best team in the West, averaging 26, 8, and 11. On the best team in the West. What's your what's your argument now? So uh, based off of that, my vote would be LeBron, even though Giannis is going to win MVP. It's crazy, man. Like, I, I feel – I feel bad for LeBron where like 
every year of his career, he's come like top 11 in MVP voting. Um, what did he have? He had a stretch where he finished top five for like, what was I think it? He was the all eight years. Like yeah, eight years he went I, to the finals. Yeah. And I think like, I think he finished top five in MVP voting like 13 years in a row or something and only won four of them. And like, yeah, like you said, narrative gets in the way sometimes of like, oh, this guy's having this season or, or LeBron's, you know, people get bored, right? Like, there's voter fatigue. We saw that with the the weird Steve Nash thing where, like, maybe he didn't deserve his first MVP that much, but people were, like, fatigued of Shaq. But then people were fatigued of Steve Nash his third year, so he didn't win his third MVP, even though, like, he probably deserved it more that year. Uh, I think you get a little bit of that with LeBron. And obviously, you know, the Lakers are kind of in shambles when LeBron doesn't play. Um, I don't he know. It's just like – Yeah. But, like – Giannis has the edge in, you know, most statistical categories. And if you go to the advanced stuff, Giannis has an edge. I certainly wouldn't argue with anyone picking LeBron. Like, I still think game on the line, like he's probably the best offensive player. You know, him. it's him, Giannis, and Kawhi kind of right there as the best player. So I don't fault you at all, man. All right. And final thing, we can start wrapping up. Who is winning the championship so long the season finishes? Because right now the bubble is working. Yeah, I think I picked the Clippers before the season, uh, and I don't think I've seen enough to change my pick yet. And I realize that part of it is probably just that I spent last year watching Kawhi in a playoff (laughs) run, and I just know what that can do for a team and, like, how hard it is to beat that guy. Uh, But, yeah, I'll stick with the Clippers just because, like, you know, I know the Lakers and Bucks had better regular seasons, but I kind of expected the Clippers to not have their foot on the gas in the regular season. It's just – I don't know, man. I guess it's just a, a nod to Kawhi, but I think maybe Paul George a little bit too. But, yeah, I'll stick with the Clippers. Yeah, my actually preseason uh, thoughts were that it would be lit. I thought the Lakers would come out with their uh, foot off the gas a little bit and then the Clippers vying for that uh, one seed. I didn't think the Lakers would be like the fifth seed like some people said they would, but I thought the Lakers would come out with their foot off the gas. But I'm going to say consistent. My original thoughts was – uh, give me the, I'm not betting against LeBron in the playoffs. I will continue to say that. Like, there's things, there's things in sports you don't do. You don't bet against <laughs> a healthy LeBron in the playoffs, unless it's Golden State. So, <laughs> let so, me ask uh, you can, can I ask you a question? Do you yeah. think, like, I know the, like, the Vegas odds are all over the place, but do you think there's more, like, before the hiatus, I would have said, like, I was pretty sure one of the two LA teams or Milwaukee was winning the title. Do you think there's more like a higher chance that another team, like an underdog kind of makes a run this year with the weird restart or like, are you still pretty like it's LA teams or Milwaukee? I think a team, I think, yeah, I think it could be some underdog teams. Like uh, I don't think it will happen, but Miami, if you know, some weird stuff happens, uh, they're maybe the deepest team in the East. Like, they go 11 deep, and nine of those guys are, like, in consistently hit shots from the perimeter. Uh, Boston, they got maybe the second best player in the conference, second or third, depending on how you feel about Butler and Tatum. Uh, and then out west. My problem with Houston is, it's, I, don't, I don't know how – we had, like, Adam Taylor from Celtics, like he said it as well, I don't know how – the Rockets that are in a playoff series are going to handle AD or 
Kawhi and Paul George for a full series. Now, granted, how the Lakers going to deal with the small ball system of the Rockets is interesting as well. But I don't, I don't see how the Rockets in a full series are going to be able to handle Kawhi and Paul George or LeBron and AD. And the Nuggets, I just don't think they're there yet. I just, there's something weird about the Nuggets seem to me. I just don't think they're there yet. So if there is going to be anybody, it's going to be probably the Celtics or the Heat. Maybe the Rockets if Harden is just absurd. But for the most part, it's L.A. and or Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I think there's going to be more uncertainty and more room for underdogs. But, like, especially in the West, like, if you got to beat both of those teams on your way to the finals, that's tough to tough to picture, man. Yeah. All right. Um, you said the Clippers. All right, so the Lakers. But, uh, yeah, thank you, Blake, again for joining us here today on Sports Headlines. Uh, you guys can follow him on his Twitter page. I'll put the, uh, his handle down below in the description. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for watching Sports Channel. I see the most authentic place in sports. And thank you, Blake, again for joining us. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.